The best thing you can do from all these classes is get you a budget and get out of debt. Render My Money 2021 Session 8. I want to welcome everyone to the Render My Money class. I decided to go ahead and complete the Dave Ramsey Peace University because, first of all, I'm going to take the lead from our pastor. I'm watching him walk 500 miles and he hadn't quit. So I figured we shouldn't quit. We should finish what we started. So today we're going to do a video and we're going to get out on time. But the video is on real estate and mortgages. Now, how many of you all own a home or buying a home right now? Okay. And how many plan on buying a home? Okay, good. So two things. This will allow you to evaluate and look at your home purchase and make sure it's right for you. And all the information that we give here is only going to be valuable if you listen, take heed, and then make some actions. The biggest thing about purchasing a home is, is that it's your largest investment that most people will make. And the main thing that you don't want to do is you don't want to over buy, meaning buying too much based on your income, and you don't want to buy a plan where you pay too much in interest. Now, right now, this is the best time to make sure that you have the best interest rates because interest rates are very low. How many people have refinanced in the last two to three years? Okay. How many people have, okay, how many people have an interest rate that's over 4%? Anybody? Okay. Say two point, okay. Okay. 4.2. Okay. Okay. So when we look at this, it's going to talk about mortgages. So make sure you pay attention. So we have a few questions after, but depending on your income and the length, you're going to find the difference between having a 15 year mortgage and a 30 year mortgage. But we have to make sure we understand the main goal is to pay the house off, pay the home off. The sooner you can pay the home off, the sooner you can start investing in your retirement, in yourself, raising your net worth. We see what's happened in the last, you know, three or four years. 2008, the housing market plummeted. Now you see it's back at an all-time high now. So those cycles will continue. So, you know, everything goes up. It's going to come down and usually it's going to go back up again. So we want to make sure that, A, that is an asset. And it's really a true asset when it's paid for. Or at least it's more valuable or it appreciates more than what you owe on it which is very important. So we're going to play the video and then we're going to have a brief discussion afterwards. And this will be the last Dave Ramsey video. Now let me ask you this, how many of you all here today are actually keeping up with your budgets? Two hands, three hands. Okay, so I'm going to decide how many of you all think you need a refresher on your budgets? Okay, good. Got two or three hands. Okay, when you look at this, notice how everything connects. Notice how your budget will then impact your home purchase. You understand? So that is really the lifeblood of your financial success, your budget, because you have to direct your money. You got to stop letting your money direct you. Either you want to let your money tell you what to do or you want to tell your money what to do. All right. You want to tell your money what to do under most normal circumstances. So we're going to play the video. You can go ahead and start the video and then we're going to have the questions and discussion. Now. All right.
didn't have jobs. We, yes. It was called a no-doc loan. We went in and we signed and they gave us the house. We didn't give them a penny because you can only get new houses. Well, we could only get new houses. There was, you know, we're not animals. We, we need a house that's been decorated by professional. I bought a condo in 2004-ish where they were giving more money away than probably could afford. And I was one of those people who didn't know enough about it that I thought, they're giving me the money. Clearly, I can make the payments on this condo. But then we had one house to live in, two rental properties, and five mortgages on these three properties. That was just overwhelming. The house I lived in with my parents was a certain way. So why didn't I deserve to live that same way? I mean, isn't that what you took out to, to give me the, the lifestyle I was accustomed to? We were living in Northern California next to people that were making millions of dollars a year. I was making forty-five k. So I ended up with fifteen rental properties and eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars in debt, and I did not know how I was possibly going to end up paying it off. I mean, we qualified for the loan, so and you're thinking, okay, well, we got this important at the bank things we can afford it. Well, no, that's not true. So don't believe them when they tell you that. They sort of like tripped us into this, well, here we can structure the mortgage this way. You know, we can take a three-one arm and that, you know, and you should have better earning potential three years from now, right? I mean, you're just getting into your career, so you should be earning a lot more by then. Oh yeah, we totally will. Yeah. I can't afford my mortgage, which means I can't afford other things, which means now people are calling me asking for money. It was a place that was supposed to be secure, that was supposed to be comforting, you know. Our respite was there, there. You get away from the world and this you know, make your family there. We thought we were living the American dream and it was really a nightmare. The house turned into a nightmare. How many of you are like me? You've been on a, a great vacation or maybe a not so great vacation where you travel. Or maybe you were traveling for work. I travel a lot. I speak all over the world and do a lot of media appearances and everything. So traveling. How many of you know what I'm talking about? When you travel like that and you come home, it's good to be home. Oh, there's nothing like that word. That word is emotional. That word touches our spirit. Home. Say it with me. Home. Jesus said, The foxes have holes and the birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. When we as Christians start talking about heaven, we talk about going home. We talk about that sometimes at a funeral. We call it a homecoming or homegoing. And the idea of home is rooted in our spirits. It's rooted in who we are. And so as we talk about real estate and mortgages tonight, I want you to think about home as more than just a financial transaction. Because I am convinced one of the reasons that we in America have prospered so financially is we are actually the very first culture in the history of the world that the average typical citizen owns real estate. And that sense of stability, that sense of home, the aristocracy, the wealthy in most cultures of the world were the only ones that owned their homes. In our culture, it's normal to own 
your home. Now maybe with a mortgage, but, but you only, you control it. There's this sense of spiritual, emotional, relational stability from which you're able to go out and do things economically. And I think that's one of the reasons, spiritually, that America has prospered, is we have home. Say it again. Home. And the great American dream is home ownership. You know, if you ask me, what's the great American dream? Now, I would say that owning your own business or owning your own home. And, and, and yet, if you do this home ownership thing wrong, it's such a huge transaction that it becomes not the great American dream, but instead the great American nightmare. I mean, it's not a blessing, it's a curse. It's, it's not a good thing, it's a problem. It's not a thing that causes me to have peace in my family. It causes stress in my family when it's done improperly and in the wrong order. And things aren't laid out the way they're supposed to be. That The numbers don't crunch properly. So we're going to walk through that in this lesson to make sure that we get this right. Now, I will tell you that the average family going through Financial Peace University, the average family listening to me on the radio that writes me and tells me their story or read the book, The Total Money Makeover, and writes me and tells me their story, the anecdotal evidence and some of the actual research that we have gives us this. It usually takes about a month to get that first $1,000 set aside. It takes about 18 to 24 months to get, on average, all of your debts paid off except your home in Baby Step 2. Baby Step 3 is finish the emergency fund. That usually takes another six months or so. So two, three years to get through those first three baby steps. Here's what's interesting. By the time we get to baby step six, we're seeing families that are participating in this with focus, with intentionality, working together as a couple, as we've taught you, for those of you that are married, working with accountability for those of you that are single, we're seeing them pay off their home on average in about seven years. Now that means that some people are taking 12 and 15, and some people are doing it really, really fast because their home is almost paid for. But the average is running about seven years to get through baby step six. Now, how do we do this? Again, intentionality with our money. Making the money behave, giving every dollar an assignment, and that means we're doing the budget every month before the month begins for the rest of our lives. And especially while you're in the class. You're working the budget forms, you're bringing them in, you're showing your coordinator, you're being accountable, you're being held accountable in that process, and it causes you to shift your behavior to where you're looking forward with your money instead of looking back going where it went. Where did it go? Where did it go? And, and so, that's how this is happening. Now, let's first talk about renting, because there's a lot of misnomers about renting. Automatically, when someone says so-and-so is a renter, so-and-so is renting, we immediately think, oh, they shouldn't be doing that, they ought to buy. That is not true. Not everyone in every situation should buy right then. We want to get ourselves in order so that we do buy a home, but buying a home out of order becomes a problem rather than a blessing. So, when we rent, there's nothing wrong with renting for a little while. This demonstrates patience and wisdom. As an example, I recommend when a young couple first gets married that the first thing they do is they wait a year to buy. They need to spend that year piling up cash, getting all their baby steps worked out, getting on the same page, learning to work together. And I always joke, but it's not much of a joke to tell that young couple when they first get married, it takes a year of marriage to know how close to your mother-in-law to buy. And we all kind of laugh at that, but there, there's some truth to that actual statement. But what we're saying is we've got to know how to work together on things. And we've got to know that before we make a home purchase. 
So that's an example when you're being patient and you're waiting and it's a good thing to rent. Another example would be if something bad happened. Like maybe you went through a divorce or, or, or you were a widow or, or you're a widower. You lost your spouse. In the middle of that grief, in the middle of all that pain, you don't make a decision to buy a house. But I, I, you wouldn't believe the number of people I talk to who feel tremendous emotional pressure by the culture to go rush and buy something because somehow that's going to stabilize all this pain. That's going to fix everything. And it does just the opposite because you make really bad decisions when you're in the middle of that much pain, when you're in the middle of all this turmoil in your life. Not the time to make a decision. Another example would be a military family. They're only in that location for a couple of years. Very seldom does that home go up enough in value that they can sell it, and so they're stuck with it. And then they go do it again, they're stuck with it. And they go do it again, they're stuck with it. And they've got rental properties dotted all over the United States because they got stuck with them each time. Because they didn't own them long enough to be able to sell them for a profit. So there's times that renting is a good idea. It's when it's temporary. Another time is sometimes when you move to a new city. It's not a bad idea to rent for a year. Get to know the neighborhoods. Otherwise, you're kind of blindfolded when you're looking. Now, you can make a decision and you can go visit and study. And some people are able to do that if they move more. But I really want to know which side of the tracks things are. And I kind of want to know where the tracks are. You know, I want to know where I'm landing with this stuff. And so those are times that it is patience and wisdom as a temporary measure to rent until we get a solid foundation under us. Well, when are you ready to buy? You're not ready to buy until you get through baby step three. That means you should be debt-free and have your emergency fund in place. Now, sometimes people stop right there, and in addition to their emergency fund, baby step three, they start saving for their down payment. We call that baby step 3B. Before they start retirement and college and that other stuff, they start popping up their down payment right there. That's a really good place to do that. But don't move into a home with 62 debts or 6 debts or, or 2 debts and no money. You move into a home broke with a bunch of debt around your neck, Murphy will move in your spare bedroom, bring his three cousins, broke, desperate, and stupid. They will live with you. Your life will look like a country song. Everything that can go wrong will. I mean, it is unbelievable what you'll be facing. You're asking for it when you move into a home broke. Now, why would we buy a home at all? Well, there's a lot of great benefits for home ownership. The first one is, it's a forced savings plan. When you buy a home, you put down a good down payment, maybe you take out a mortgage, maybe you don't, but you're paying payments. If you're paying those monthly payments, as you're paying them, some of that's interest and some of that is reducing the principal. And, and so you're getting more and more equity in the home. You have a forced savings plan. And you can't get that money out of you see. It's kind of locked in there. And, and so it causes you to build wealth. It's a great forced savings plan. The second thing is it's an inflation hedge. Now, in the last several decades, we haven't had a lot of inflation. I mean, but back in 1978 when I got my real estate license, that year, in the, the inflation rate for real estate, residential real estate in our area and in most areas of the United States was around 12%. Houses were going up 10, 12% a year. $200,000 houses a year later were two and a quarter. I mean, that's wild. It's coming up around a month that thing's going up. And now we haven't seen that kind of inflation in a while. But if you own a home and that kind of inflation takes place, you're riding the wave up. If you don't own it and that kind of inflation takes place, you can get crashed by that wave. And so it's an inflation hedge because you participate in the, one of the big components of what is inflation. It'd be like owning an oil company while gas went up, right? You know, you'd be on the right side of that equation then for a change. And that's what an inflation hedge is. The second thing is, or the third thing is, your house grows virtually tax-free. 
Your personal residence grows virtually tax-free. A personal residence under current tax law at the time of this shooting, you, as a married couple, married filing jointly, you can make up to $500,000 profit if you've owned the house two years or more. Tax-free. No taxes on it. You don't have to reinvest it. You don't have to buy another house. All those rules are years and years old. Just simply profit is yours up to a half a million dollars. $250,000 for a single person. And, and so that's tax-free growth. That's pretty substantial. That's a big deal that you got that as an option in there. Now, what do we buy? When we start thinking about actually buying, we've gotten our emergency fund in place, we're out of debt, we're, we're clarified how we're getting at this, we think it's a good idea to buy. What are we going to buy? Well, you want to buy in the bottom price range of the neighborhood. The bottom price range of the neighborhood. And never overbuild your neighborhood through home additions or improvements. So, if you're, if you're looking at a home that's $400,000 and all the other homes in the neighborhood are three hundred, wrong. You want to be on the other end of that. As a matter of fact, if you can slip down under that $1.99 psychology, if the average home in the neighborhood is three to three and a quarter and you could get something in the 280s or 290s, you're going to see the most appreciation from the bottom to the middle range of the neighborhood. Don't buy the most expensive home in that neighborhood because when you get ready to resell, people aren't coming to that neighborhood to look for that price range. And if you buy a home and you add so much to it that now you have to get half again what the whole area is bringing just to get your money out, you've overbuilt the neighborhood and you don't want to do that either. Homes appreciate in good neighborhoods and are priced based on three things according to my appraisal teacher in college and I think he's right. He says three things cause you to have value. Location, location, and location. You can take a house trailer, a double wide, and sit it in the middle of a cornfield in Ohio and it's worth $3,000. You can set it somewhere in Mississippi or in Tennessee and it's worth $3,000. But if you set it on a 100 by 100 piece of sand right next to Malibu Beach, it's worth a million too. Has everything to do with the location of what you're dealing with. When you get ready to buy, if you have the opportunity to, buy near water or buy something with a view. These are great things for resale. And really, it's funny to me how much you can get away with when you call it a view. Some of you people live in an area where it's just pancake flat and any little bump is called a hill. And that, that house is on a view, you know what I'm saying? And, and it's amazing to me what people call water. I have seen some creeks that look suspiciously like drainage ditches. <laughs> and the name of the street was Creekside. There wasn't a creek there. That was a drainage ditch. It's a wet weather creek, though, right? What? And the way the market perceives it is huge. This is huge. Buy bargains by learning to overlook things that can be fixed, like bad landscaping, ugly carpet, outdated wallpaper, and the eldest print in the master bedroom. Some of you go through, and the other owner's decorating turns you off. That's not a reason not to buy a house. That's a reason to get a great deal on a house, because the average buyer has no imagination. So you need to go through and be able to look past that. You remember that shag carpet that you like needed a break? You remember that? And you had to rake it a certain way, like your hair or something. It had to go a certain direction. It's like a comb over, but with carpet. You know? And, and, and you, have, you know, if it's got that in there, it's old, okay? And old carpet is not retro. It's just old carpet. Old tile might be retro. We can bring it back, right? But that, there's nothing cool about old carpet. 
And, and so you need to overlook things that can be replaced quickly and easily like that. I used to buy real estate for a living and buy and sell for a living before I went broke. And I remember one time right after I went broke, I found a bargain and this little couple that was in my Sunday school class at church, they wanted to buy a house. And so this was a long time ago. I found a great deal on this house. It was about $140,000, $160,000 house. And I was able to buy it for $60,000. But it was unbelievably poorly decorated. The worst paint colors, the worst carpet you've ever seen in your life. But I'm talking, you know, almost $100,000 off on the price, right? And they go over there, and they're walking around, and they're wringing their hands, and they're thinking about it. And she comes out, and she says, we just can't buy it. Why? I don't care, but I'm curious. Why? We just, we don't like the carpet. It's $100,000 under market. You want a carpet the whole neighborhood? We can carpet the roof. I mean, anything you want a carpet for that. Just visualize ripping the carpet out, but she couldn't get past it. Didn't have the imagination to take a bargain. That's how you do it. You need to look past that kind of stuff and get yourself a bargain. Always buy a home that is or can be attracted from the street and has a good floor plan. I bought a house here in Tennessee one time. My very first home, as a matter of fact, I got a great deal on it. You know why? It was ugly. It was ugly to the bone. It was so ugly. It was on the side of a little hill on this little subdivision lot, and then he built like this thing that just stuck up there, like a sore thumb. It was so nasty bad. You know, the kind of house I'm talking about. And had a little driveway ran straight up to it. It was so steep that when you got to the bottom, you had to turn to keep your car from dragging. You know what I'm talking about. And one night I came home in an ice storm, and I was trying to walk across that driveway. My parents were over visiting, watching the kids. The kids were little, and I slipped, and I fell, and I hit the driveway, and I did ninja turtle all the way to the bottom. And I'm yelling and saying things you can't say in church. And uh, my mother looks out the window and says to my wife, somebody's playing on your driveway. And you don't want to buy a good house like this, okay? You want to buy something that's got good bones to it and has a good solid floor plan. I had a house one time that was a rental house had four bedrooms, but you had to go through one of the bedrooms to get to the other bedroom. Who was not thinking when they built it? These are two old boys that did the architecture on a brown bag on the hood of their pickup or something here, right? It was a bad idea. So if it's got bad bones, you can't fix that. You can fix the office plant, and you can get rid of the shag part. Now, how do we buy? Real estate agents have full access to the multiple listing service, the MLS, and this can make house hunting really, really easy to death. 89% of the buyers last year bought a home through a quality realtor. And so you want a professional if you're going to be working on the buyer or the selling side when you're dealing in the real estate world. It's a big deal. Stats are telling us right now that 90% of the people look for a home online and do online shopping. And so that's what you're doing as a buyer. And you need to remember that 89% of the buyers use a real estate agent ultimately before they do the purchase. But they shop on the internet. Now, if you're buying and you're shopping on the internet, I want you to make sure that you look past some of those people's ugly pictures. Because some of those houses are better than they look on the internet. And that might be an opportunity for you to find a bargain because everyone else ruled it out based on their ugly picture. And it turns out it's a pretty nice place. It's just their realtor's not a very good photographer. When you buy a piece of property that is not a traditional subdivision lot, always get a survey. Always get a land survey if you're buying something that's not a standard subdivision lot. Now, some of you people live in areas of the country that when I fly over, it looks like a little checkerboard, and it's all pretty and nice. 
I'm in Tennessee. The surveys in Tennessee read something like, starts at an old oak tree and goes to a pile of rocks, neither one of which are still there. And so you have to figure this thing out, and the, you know, the last three generations of relatives have been exaggerating every generation. It really is about 20 acres. By the time it gets around to them exaggerating it, it's now up to 40. And so you really do need to have a survey to really know what you're getting into. And if you're buying a home, always have a professional home inspector structurally certify the home. Really get into it. Really see what it is. And there's nothing wrong with that. And sellers don't like it because they don't want to be nitpicked. But it'll keep you out of some huge messes like mold or roof leaks or heating and air systems that are on their last legs or those kinds of things. Because when you and I are buying, we get all excited about the house. We get house fever. And we tend to overlook some things that might be a little bit obvious. And you want to be wise. You want to have all the information to make your decisions with as you're buying it. Now, get an appraisal. Most of you, if you're getting a mortgage, you're going to be required to get an appraisal. But understand an appraisal is an opinion, an opinion of value. And some of these appraisers have been burnt by some of these economic terms and some of these bank laws and different things. And they're a little paranoid, some of them. And some of them are a little bit of a, a, bit of a Barney Fife power trip. I was selling a piece of property a while back and we had the contract written up for $262,500. And, of course, the appraiser got a copy of the contract. We also furnished the appraiser with all the comparables in the area to make this job easy for him. And, and Mr. Power Trip comes back, not with $262,500. He appraised the house at $262,250. Like you know that close what this house is worth. You know. So, you, you know, it's an opinion. So be willing to push back, be willing to fight about that a little bit. But you do want an outside third party to tell you what the thing is worth. Because, again, we get house fever in the process. Title insurance insures you against an unclean title when your property ownership is called into question. Always buy title insurance. Circle that and put stars around it. Always, with any real estate you buy, buy title insurance. Well, that's just one of those rip-off closing costs. That's just one of those fees they throw on there. Another way they make money on us. Yes, they make money on you. But all, I have bought foreclosures. I've owned over a thousand pieces of property in my life. I've seen more title in this stuff than you can imagine. I bought a piece of property one time with title insurance, thank goodness, from an estate. The two sisters signed off on it. Somehow they forgot they had a brother. Maybe they thought he would never turn up. Two years later, mystery brother shows up. Turns out I'm his new partner. And he wants me to sign off and give him money to get his signature to get the other third of the house. I don't have clean title. The three heirs hadn't all signed it. And there was some issues there. So what did I do? Well, normally if I didn't have title insurance, I'd be a little freaked out and have to be handling all this. Instead, I just called the title insurance company. They wrote mystery boy a check. He signed the stuff. No problems to me. This is why you get title insurance. They ensured that the title was clean, so they had to pay to make it clean when it wasn't. Always get title insurance. Now, I, I want to have one of my favorite speakers talk to you about mortgages because this guy really knows his stuff. He goes all over America doing financial talks for me, teaching biblical finance, but he really knows the mortgage business and the banking business because I saved him from it. I pulled him out of there. He works on our team. Please welcome Chris Hogan. Hello, everybody. 
as you can imagine, after 20 years of dealing with money and people, I've met a lot of people getting ready to try to buy a home. And as you can imagine, I've seen people do it right, and I've seen people do it wrong. We'll start with the wrong way. This was a couple, they've been married about three years, and they've got house fever. Okay, you know what I'm talking about? See, they had friends buying homes, and they had family members buying homes, so they thought that they needed to. See, they were confused and want with me. You ever been there? It's so easy to do. And so they said, Chris, we're renting right now, but we want to start a family. And I said, okay, I can respect that. I can understand that. And they said, and, and here's the statement they made. We can't bring a baby home to an 800-square-foot apartment. Seriously? Now, I'm thinking to myself, this is just an eight-pound baby. Okay, all they do, right, all they do is eat, sleep, and stuff, right, that first year. Like an 800 square foot apartment, that's enough space. I'm thinking, did you buy like a 400 square foot baby crib? You can make this work. And see, they were confused, and I even told them so. It's like, listen, you all are getting confused with want versus need. You're not in a position yet. You're not following a plan. You don't have, you don't have money saved up. You still have debt. Now, the right way, another couple. They've been married five years. They've been attacking debt. See, they've been sacrificing. They're working together. And they came in to see me because, see, they had saved up some money, but they weren't quite there yet. Okay? They needed, they wanted to do 20% down. So they were focused. Now, when they came in to meet with me, she was four months pregnant. And here's what she told me. She goes, Chris, I really want a house. Now, I'm pregnant, so I'm a little tense. <laughs> that was like a warning right there. Okay? Which means she could go off on me. She goes, I'm a little tense, but we're focused on getting this house before the baby gets here. And she said, now, we have some stuff we can sell. Now, she kept using we a lot, okay? And every time she said we, the husband would kind of tick, okay? <laughs> and I knew something was coming, you all. She goes, yeah, we got some stuff. I said, okay, and I, I picked up on the hint. She goes, we have a boat <laughs> and a motorcycle, okay? And the guy, bless his heart, he looked so pitiful. He was looking at me like, help me. And I was looking at them like, I can't. She's pregnant. Yeah. Ain't no sense both of us getting beat up in that room. <laughs> I'm like, but you're on your own, okay? So guys, single, if you're single out here, men survival tip. Don't argue with a pregnant woman, okay? Put that in your book, long, write it down. But this couple was focused. See, they were working together and sacrificing. He eventually came on board. He was fine to give those things up because he knew he could get some other stuff later. But they had grown to bring me to my first point, to hate debt. This is the first thing. You have to hate debt. You don't want to get confused. And I know we've been raised not to hate. I know. For example, Mama Hogan, that's my mom. She raised me. She said, Christopher. Now, you all, when she used my whole first name, it was like a tip, okay? Because I think one of the three W's were coming when she said Christopher. See, I'm normally Chris, but when Christopher came up, one of three W's were about to happen. She was either going to give me some wisdom, she was going to give me a warning, or I was about to get a woman. Okay? So when she said Christopher, my ears automatically, everything stopped. She goes, we don't hate people. But I understand that, and I respect that, but I want to give you all permission tonight to hate that. Because it's a thief. It steals from us. Think about it. It makes our income outgone. Think about that. It is a thief. So we do want to hate it. So I tell people, 
the best way to buy a home, put 100% down. 100%. Put the whole thing down. And people say, well, Chris, you can't, you can't do 100% down. Yes, you can if you're focused. You can. Now, a lot of people don't have the patience to do it, but you can do it. For example, we have a Dave Ramsey team member. She grew up in a family that had real-world money struggles. And we've all been there. We know what that's like. But she grew up and she made the decision to herself. She was never going to have that. She wasn't going to do it. Not a credit card, not a loan. She started saving up for a home at age 17. Making three to $5,000 a year in investing, putting money away. Stay focused. Okay? She stayed focused. She met the man of her dreams. He didn't have any debt. So they're working together now. Teamwork. It's a beautiful thing. So now they're bringing about $95,000 together. You know what they did? They decided, you know what, we'll live off his income and we'll save hers. So they continue the habit of saving. So you can do it. you got to sacrifice, though. They saved up about $135,000. $135,000. So when it came time for them to go shop for a home, do you think they spent everything? Absolutely not. See, they only spent $119,000, but paid cash for a house. So it can be done. If you're focused, and you have to be, you have to be committed to that. Listen to this stat, according to the Census Bureau: 31% of homes in the United States have no mortgage debt on them at all. 31%. That's big. So listen, it sounds like to me that this whole area of being debt-free and whole concept is really catching on. People are starting to get it. So if you're not going to do 100% down, here's the plan. I want you to get a mortgage payment of no more than 25% of your take-home pay on a 15-year fix with 10% down. That's the game plan. You're going to hear me say have a plan all throughout this lesson. That's the plan. No more mortgage payment of no more than 25% of your take-home pay on a 15-year fixed rate with a 10% down payment. Now, you can put more down if you want, and I want you to. See, the temptation here as you're buying a home, it's great to overspend. It's real easy. So you have to have a plan. You have to be committed. Now, I come out this whole area uh, of a 15-year fix because it's a big deal. See, I'm a former banker, okay? But as a banker, anybody in the financial world, if you go talk to them about getting a mortgage, they're going to push you toward a 30-year loan. That's just a natural instinct. So I want you, as you go in to buy a home, to know that the 15 years is the way I want to go. That's the direction. Don't get swayed. You go in and confirm, I'm on a 15-year. And I want to take, I want to show you, if you would, take a look at this slide and you'll see the difference here. For example, on a $225,000 loan, 15-year payment is going to be around $1,900. But then you see on a 30-year loan, it's going to be about $1,400. So that's a difference of almost $600 a month. But take a look at the next fact. After 10 years of paying on this, 10 long years of chipping away at this thing and making progress, your balance now on the 15-year loan is $98,000. But look at the 30-year, almost double, at $188,000. So you've paid on this thing almost $162,000 on a 30-year, but look what you paid the balance down by, only $36,000. The 15 years is the way to go. It represents hundreds of thousands saved in interest. Now, I'm going to tell you about something. Horrible mortgage options. And I want you to look at my face, okay? When you hear these options, I want you to run! Okay? I scared somebody half to death in there. 
I want you to run if you see these. Okay, I don't care. Wives, if you're sitting at a bank or a financial institution and somebody mentions one of these options, I want you to get your purse, your keys, and your kids and go. All right? If your husband won't move, leave him. He'll meet you at the house. Go on. Go. you got to get out of there because these are dangerous. These will cost you money. After 20 years in the industry of looking, I know for a fact. The first one is an adjustable rate mortgage. Adjustable rate mortgage, ARM. Now, I've got a better acronym for them. I call them eight right mortgages. Because they ain't right. Okay? The, the, on average, here's what happens. You get an interest rate right now, and after a certain point, it adjusts. Now, which way is it going to adjust up or down? Up. And if that goes up, what's your payment going to do? Up. Say, up is bad. Up is bad. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't like y'all. Up is bad. You don't want it to go up. You want something that's going to be consistent. So here's the deal on, on adjustable rate mortgages. The arm, the concept is to transfer the risk of the higher interest rate to the borrower in exchange for a lower interest rate now. So it's almost like a teaser rate. You don't want to go there. Remember, if you're budgeting, you're fixed on money. You're telling money where to go each time, each month. You don't need it fluctuating. So if you do have an adjustable rate mortgage today, I encourage you to get out, get with someone, a banker or a mortgage person, and get information on refinancing into a 15-year fixed rate. That's going to be the best way for you. And get some information to be able to help you. Now, another bad one is interest only. Interest only loans. These are a bad idea because why? You're just paying the interest. And I tell people, if you're not making principal progress, you're not making buying progress. Think about that. If you're just paying interest, it's almost like just treading water. You're not making any progress. So you want to make principal and interest progress. That means buying progress. Interest only are a banker's dream. They love them. All right? They love them. And they want people to stay in there. Another one, reverse mortgages. Now, we've all heard about these, right? You see the commercials. You see the ancient hard drops from the 50s and 60s pushing these things. You've seen them. And you go, I remember that person from this show. Or that person from that show. They're trying to build credibility. These loans can be very expensive and can have high fees. Now, I tell you this because I want you to be forewarned, but I also want you to be able to protect your parents and your grandparents. Because, see, these loans, you have to be 62 years, eight years old or older to even qualify for these loans. So that's what they're targeting. But I tell people this with reverse mortgages. You have made payments each and every month. Each and every month. We're going forward, aren't we? Each month. The last thing we want to do is do what? Go in reverse. Think about it. You can see the finish line. You, you have run, you have pushed, you can see it. It's right over there. We don't want to go back. We've worked too hard to get to here. So you want to keep that in mind. Do your research. High rates, high fees. Another myth and a bad mortgage option is the accelerated bi-weekly payoff programs that you see out there. Now these programs, they try to get you, convince you that there's some magic software or some mortgage genie out there that can attack your mortgage and pay it off faster. I'm here to tell you, you don't need to pay someone four to $600 a year to pay extra on a mortgage when you can do it. See, you're the secret weapon. You want to have the attitude that this mortgage is going to get out of my life, I'm going to throw extra money at it, I'm going to work extra, I'm going to attack this thing and get it gone. There is no magic software out there that's going to do that for you. So don't buy into that. And then there's another myth. And it's the, the, the tax advantage of a mortgage that you shouldn't pay off the home, that you want to hold on to. 
And I can remember having a discussion with an accountant. And he had a pocket protector and a calculator. And we debated on that. Seriously, because I realized, see, in his mind, he crunches numbers. Okay? But what I teach people to do, I crush debt. So we were already opposed. But we went through it. And he was saying, Christian, you need to hold on to it for the tax advantage. And I'm saying, listen, I want people to pay off the mortgage and keep their payment to themselves. And we had this debate. And I, I want to show you all this so you can see this and don't fall for this anymore. For example, here, on a $200,000 mortgage at 5%, you're going to pay about $10,000 in interest to the bank each year. Now, that's donated to the bank. But if you were to pay off your mortgage and hold on to that $10,000, you would pay 25% in taxes, okay? And so you pay $2,500 to the government. So you get to hold on to your money. Now, I want to show you something because I brought a friend with me. Actually, I brought $10,000. And I want you to see this because, see, we talk about numbers so much that, see, money becomes just a number with that little sign on it. But this is real here. This is real money. And so you look at this and you realize that, you know what, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that I would keep my mortgage and send all of this to the bank as opposed to keeping the money, paying off my mortgage, holding on to this, and send the $2,500 to the government. I get to keep this. And some people will say, I, I, I want the tax deduction, Chris. Here's my thought. Pay off the mortgage and take this $10,000 and give it to your church or charity. How many people's lives could you rock with this? How many people could you bless with this? So this is simple math. We're not falling for that myth anymore because we know better. Now I'm going to put my friend away so he can go back to sleep and we can keep moving. But I want you to lace up your shoes with me because we're getting ready to run through some basic ways you can finance your home. Now, I'm going to move pretty quick, so track with me here. The first one is obviously a conventional loan. Now, these loans are done through Fannie Mae and are privately insured against default. These have more structures, more guidelines, and hoops you have to jump through, but they're the best overall deal for you. So, they also have what's called private mortgage insurance, PMI. Now, I want to clear up a myth here because a lot of people think that the PMI protects them. It does not. PMI insurance protects the lender against the fault. So think of it as foreclosure insurance. It, you, it protects the bank, not you as an individual. So you don't want to have this on your loan. Now, if you put a 20% down payment, you won't have it at all. You won't be affected with a 20% down payment. If you've been in your home a little while and you've paid the mortgage down and you've got 20% equity, you can contact your lender and get information about how to get this dropped from your loan. So you can contact your lender and have that conversation. Now, another option are FHA loans. Now, FHA loans are insured by HUD, the federal government. These are heavily marketed to first-time home buyers. Heavily marketed. And the reason is, down payments can be as low as 3%. So people fall for it and look at it and they say, well, I don't want to be patient. I want to hurry up and get in, these loan, in a home. So I'm going to take this loan. I want to caution you. Okay, these loans are currently more expensive than a conventional loan. So conventional is better for you to go that route. Now, we love our veterans. We love the fact that they defended our country. They protect our freedom. Another loan out there are VA loans. Now, these are insured by the, US, the Department of Veterans Affairs. And you have to be careful, though. Okay? Now, if you can get in one of these with a VA loan, you can get in for zero down. The seller pays all the costs. 
But the issue is it can have a funding fee. Now this funding fee can be one and a quarter to three percent. It depends on, number one, your user service, and how many VA loans you had prior. So you want to be aware and do your math. But still, with a good down payment, a conventional loan is still better than a VA loan. So you're hearing a theme here. I keep saying conventional. That's the way to go. Owner financing is another option. Now this is where you pay an individual over time, making that person your mortgage holder. So this is, you don't have a bank or a mortgage company. You have an individual that you're working with. Okay, now, you can be very creative here. This is a great way to finance a home if you have one of these because you can structure it to where there are but uh, graduated interest rates over time. You can get sweat equity. You can get credit for renovations or whatever you're doing to a home. The one thing I caution people is if you have one of these, an owner financing type of situation, get it in writing. Get it in writing. Have you all ever talked to someone and they told you something? They agreed to it and then get amnesia later, they forget all about what they told you and what they agreed to. If you get it in writing and you got it signed and you got it notarized, now when they catch amnesia, what are you going to do? I'm just going to go over here and grab this little reminder here and help jog that memory. This will protect you. And that's the big thing to remember. Now, a home is a person's largest monetary asset. It's a big deal. I need you to have a plan so you can protect yourself. So you can defend yourself and be able to know that, hey, this is my family's legacy that I'm talking about here. I've got to defend myself. I've got to have a plan and be focused. I tell people to slow down. You, you want to slow down and use Christmas three C's of home buying. You want to be cautious, you want to be careful, and you want to be coherent. Now think about those. You want to be cautious, you want to be careful, and you want to be coherent as you address this whole issue of home buying. Because it's a big deal. It's a big step. It's a big deal to have a plan, you all. It really and truly is. And you have to take this area seriously. Remember what Davis told you. Attack your debt, okay? Have an emergency fund, and then save up to buy a home. Don't get confused about the process. That's the plan to follow. It works. Now, there are some other opportunities and challenges related to real estate mortgages. And I'm going to turn it back over to Dave so he can tell you more about those. So please welcome Dave Ramsey. Let's look at some of the challenges and opportunities that are out there when it comes to mortgages and real estate. If you do what we teach, meaning we get you completely out of debt and you quit borrowing money, eventually your credit score is going to disappear. <gasps> well, we talk about that in the debt lesson in detail, how we want Mr. FICO to go away. If you close all of the accounts and they all have zero balances and there's no activity on your credit bureau report at all, for six months, you won't have a credit score anymore. That's according to FICO's guidelines. And how are you going to buy a house in that situation? Well, you're going to do what's called manual underwriting. You find a mortgage lender that does manual underwriting. Sometimes they call it no credit score or non-traditional credit. Now, you can't live in your father's basement and do manual underwriting. You have to have been out in the world paying bills. So you've got utility bills, you've been paying your rent earlier on time for two years, you've been on the job earlier on time for two years, you make money, you have a bank account, you show interaction with people, but it doesn't have to be a debt instrument in order to qualify. Manual underwriting and non-traditional credit 
can get you processed without any, without being a dime more expensive. But you have to find a mortgage company who actually knows how to do this, and probably less than half of them do it anymore. So you've got to have to do a little bit of work on your part, but you can still get the mortgage. Now, when you owe more on your home than it is currently worth, we call that in the real estate business upside down. A lot of people have gotten very familiar with that term in the last few years. But the deal is this, your upside down is not a big problem as long as your life hasn't changed. You know, you just owe more on the house than it's worth. But if you're still got the same job, you still got the same budget, you can still pay the payment, you just sit there and pay the payment and let the market recover and you're going to be just fine. The problem comes is when you need to move for some reason. You're transferred to another city. You're stuck in that thing. You may have to rent it out for a while. Or you get to where you lost a job or something like that and you can't pay the payment anymore. What do we do then? Well, when you're facing a foreclosure, the next best thing to a foreclosure is a short sale. In a short sale, the home is sold for less than the amount owed and the lien holder agrees to accept the proceeds from the home sale as payment in full. And so you owe $200,000, they do an appraisal on the property, they figure out after they foreclose on you they're only going to get $150,000. So they just go ahead and take $150,000 now for the debt and let you go free and the buyer buys it for $150,000. And you want to do a short sale without recourse. But a short sale is not a method of just, I want to move to a bigger house and I'm going to sell my house because this is just the left of foreclosure. This drops the hammer on your credit. It's almost like being foreclosed on, except they don't sue you for the difference later. That's the big difference. So do a short sale just before foreclosure, but not as a matter of convenience. Now, there's a phrase that's been out there rattling around that's bothering me, and I want to talk about it for a little bit. Willfully walking away from a mortgage, even when you have the money to make the payments, is called strategic default. Now, that's a nice flowery phrase that says, I signed an agreement and gave my word. I can honor my word, but it's no longer convenient. And so I'm just going to walk away. This house has gone down in value. I owe more on it than it's worth, and I don't want to move, and I don't care. Well, that's immoral. That's breaking your word, and that's a lack of integrity. You signed up for this trip. Now, if you can't pay the payment because you're getting foreclosed on, then we go to a short sale situation. But this idea of like, well, it's never going to come back. Translation, I'm in drama mode because I want to move. It is going to come back. And so just walking away just because it's inconvenient is what strategic default is. And I got to tell you, that's wrong. It's the wrong thing to do. And I'm not going to participate in showing you how to do that or encouraging you or anyone else to do that. It's unethical. If you want some details about short sales, and about being upside down, and about strategic default, and where things work, and how this stuff falls, you can always check the website. We'll bring it up today. Now, we bought a home. We've talked about renting. Chris helped you with the mortgages. Let's talk about selling a home. When you get ready to sell a home, you need to think like a retailer. How many of you have ever visited a new subdivision with a furnished model that was absolutely drop-dead, better homes and gardens awesome? Tell me you've been in a model home. Everybody. Most everybody has. When you walk in there, you're dealing with a retail situation. They have painted the picture the way they wanted you to visualize it. Lots of thought has gone into the color of the couch, the situation of the couch, how the, how the dining room table is set up, what art is on the wall, what the closets look like. Lots of thought has gone into this because they're retail. 
They are selling. This is their example. When you're selling your home, you have to think like that. You have to change your mindset. We got ready to sell one of our homes. Our kids were little. And, and I told them, I said, if there is any sign that you live here when someone comes to look at the house, you will not be living here anymore. We will send you away. And that means that Kitty and Puppy are probably going to go visit Grandma. Because a great big nice dog, I love big dogs. I'm a big dog guy. But I don't even want to meet one at the front door of a house I'm getting ready to buy. Because it immediately says things about this house. Think like a retailer. Take half of your stuff off your kitchen counters and box it. You're not using it. Or put it under the cabinets, one of the two. Take a bunch of the stuff in the cabinets that you're not using and go ahead and box that and put it in there. Because a cabinet that is chopped full is small cabinets. This place doesn't have enough cabinet space. When people open it up and stuff falls out, that's what it says to them. So go ahead and take a bunch of that out. Room in the cabinet says, wow, they've got a lot of cabinet space. Same thing for your closets. Take half of your stuff out of your closets. You're moving anyway, right? You need to get some of this stuff out of your house and put light bulbs in. I want you to personally create a drain on energy. Personally. 100 watt, lots of lights. Every light in the house is on before they come to look at it. Light opens up all the corners. Darkness is small. Light is big. Little bitty bedrooms aren't necessarily little bitty when they're well lit. Lots of lights on, all kinds of things. Accent lights, everything. Lots and lots of lights. Have someone come in who loves you enough to tell you if your house smells. Bake bread right before they come. Bake chocolate chip cookies right before they come. I don't know how to do that. Get vanilla extract. Put it on the oven and turn the oven on. It'll smell like you baked something. <laughs> Candles that have scents are really a good idea, but not so much that you knock me down with the perfume when I come in. So be thoughtful. Be thinking about you are in the marketing business. Walk out in the street. Look back at the house. Think about what it looks like from the curb. This is a big deal. You need to think through these things. Now, the return on investment of fix-up dollars is absolutely enormous, especially on items that are $1,000 or less. $1,000 of paint will paint half the universe. It's amazing what you can do with that. $1,000 of 409 will clean a lot of grubby handprints. $1,000 will go a long way with some elbow grease toward getting a house ready to sell. But people think, well, I just live, I just put it in sign yard, I really say, you're not going to sell it. And if you do, they're going to beat you up on price because you're competing with other people who got their house market ready before they put it on the market. Think like a retailer. The most important aspect of preparation is attention to the curb appeal. Walk out in the street and look at the house. Now, I told you a little bit earlier, 90% of buyers are viewing the home online now on the internet before they go actually look at the home. Guess what they're seeing? The picture from the curb. That picture needs to be a work of art. But stand in the street and think, I'm looking at this house. What is wrong with this from the curb? Because, you know, in a job interview, the first 30 seconds, a lot of employers make their decision before you've even opened your mouth based on the way you look when you walk up. The same thing's true with curb appeal. That's your first impression. Never have a second chance to make a first impression. You ever heard your dad and mom say that? Same thing's true with your house. Get that curb appeal ready. Trim those bushes. Trim those trees. Make everything lined up. Make it look like a little park and 
you know, you're just thinking that, you know, Thumper Rabbit is somewhere around here, right? You just have this sense, this feel. Oh, I can see my kids playing in that yard. But, but if there's a bunch of trash sitting around and stuff, you can't do that. You have to stand in the yard, look at it and say, and then walk up the driveway, park where you think they're going to park and get out. Look around and go, uh-oh, cobweb up there in the corner. That means we've got a gutter right there. We need to fix that. Then walk down the sidewalk. Make sure the sidewalk is edged and, and, and really good mulch and nice trees right there as you're going along. And then, by the way, when they go to the front door, they have to get the little lock thing open. And so they're standing there a while. So they're looking around. So stand there for a minute or two and look around and go, uh-oh, I've got to paint this front door. And let me tell you, your little kids' handprints and face prints on the front door, that's all sweet to you. The rest of us think you need to clean your house. Okay? It's not cute. Clean it. This is a retail thing you're doing here. All those little things are going to make you a ton of money when you get ready to sell. These are the tricks of the trade for real estate professionals. This is the stuff they tell you to do. When selling your home, make sure that it is listed on the internet and check the pictures. Because I can't tell you how many times I've looked at those pictures and they're awful. And people use that to rule you out and never gave you a fair shot simply because of some, some cheesy, bad poorly thought out photography. Somebody just going to click, 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 like it's Facebook or something. You're marketing a several hundred thousand dollar asset here. Act like it. Act like it. When selling, statistical research has found that the best real estate agents are worth more than they cost. Unless you personally are a seasoned pro at this. Unless you've done multiple transactions yourself. Now here's the deal. The realtors have done detailed research. Lots of detailed surveys and Statistical analysis. Nationally, in the last five years, here's the numbers. The average FISBO, we call them, for sale by owners, sold their home for $150,000. The average same house sold through a realtor, $215,000. $65,000 more on average. Now, that's very interesting. That says that a quality realtor is going to get more for the house. Well, think about it. You don't have the ability to list the house in the multiple listing service, in the MLS. And the MLS is where people go when the buyer is going through an agent to look for property. They dial right straight into the MLS and find out stuff that's in the area. Now, think about this. If you personally had 10,000 potential buyers and I had five buyers, who's going to get the most for the house? You. 10,000 buyers, right? If you've got 10,000 people looking at this house and i got five looking at it, on average, the person with 10,000 is going to get more for the house, get it sold quicker, and get it sold more often. And that's what a quality realtor does. Now, I, I don't care if you use a realtor or not. I'm giving you the statistical evidence. You do whatever you want to do. I can tell you this. I, I am a licensed real estate broker. I do not market properties personally or anything like that, but at the end of the day, if I get ready to sell my personal residence, I'm going to use a realtor because of those same things, because I'm not actively engaged in, even though I still invest in real estate. I'm not on the retail side of it. It's not what I do every day. I don't have time to fool with it. And so they're going to do a better job for me. When selecting an agent, don't rely on friendships or relatives. Everyone in this room, everyone watching this knows five or six people in the real estate business. Everybody does. And most of them are not the people you need to use. Most of them aren't. You need to find the top, high-octane, high-protein professional. You should interview at least three agents. You're hiring someone you're going to pay tens of thousands of dollars to. Don't just hire somebody. 
you've never met before, they should be able to come in and present to you and sell you and show you how professional they are. If they can't show you that, when they get ready to sell your house, they don't know how to do it. So this needs to be somebody who's on top of things, like returns phone calls. How quick did they respond when you talk to them? Those kinds of things. Because that's how quick they're going to respond to the people calling them about your house. Took them three days to get back to you about listing your house. Going to take them four days to get back to that buyer. You're going to lose them. So you need to have people that are on top of their game. That's what we're looking for here. Have your agent do a detailed comparative market analysis. The CMA it's called. And all this is is you're pulling comparable houses that have sold in the area recently to compare to yours. Now when they do that, they're going to establish and show you with statistical evidence based on that what your home is really worth. Most sellers have what we call emotional equity. Translation, they think their house is worth more than it is because it's theirs. Emotional equity doesn't count. What the house is worth is what the house is worth. And it's pretty easy to establish that based on other homes in the area that have actually sold. So overall, real estate represents home. Real estate represents our family. This is where our children are going to grow up. It's where our dog and kitty are. This is where it feels good to come back to after travel. And we all have this sense, even like Jesus said, that we need a place to lay our head. We need a place spiritually and emotionally and relationally that we call home. So I recommend you do this. I recommend you get a home and that you work through the process of paying cash for it or paying it off very, very quickly because I've done detailed research and 100% of the foreclosures occur on a home with a mortgage. So get that thing paid off. Let that be your place where you lay your head. It was really hard. <laughs> and um, there were times when I would have wanted to just throw my hands up. But we didn't. We just kept on, just like Dave talks about, it's, it's just like a, a marathon. We just kept on going and going. I think it's interesting how our, our paradigm has shifted so much that we don't even think about things the same way that we used to or that we were brought up to think of them. If I had to go back and tell myself something, I would say, rent is not a four-letter word. I moved in here and I think I had a table and old chairs that were my grandfather's. Other than that, I had no furniture. People would come to my house and be like, well, how long have you been here? I'm like, well, I have to pay cash for it. And if I can't pay cash for it, then can't have it. They were kind of looking at me like, this girl is crazy. <laughs> and I think my parents were thinking, well, maybe we'll just help you out and we'll just pay this off for you and then you can get started. Well, thank God they didn't. Because until you get to the root of the problem, we would have just built it all back up again. It allowed us to, to keep on plugging along because seven years is a long time to keep on living on rice and beans. Our whole family tree has been flipped on its ear. It's totally different now. We think differently now, the kids think differently now, and that's our legacy. The big deal about real estate is it can be a huge blessing or it can bury you. You're either going to get buried or blessed. Which one do you want to do? Because there's no in between. It's too big a purchase. You've got to do it right. If you're going to build wealth, you get the home that you own. It doesn't own you. Slow down a little bit. Don't get house fever. Make the right purchase. 
Our average millionaire in our millionaire study pays off their home in 10.2 years. You get your house paid off, you're free up to do everything you need to do, baby. I mean, now you can seriously build some wealth. Take the house payment, man. We start going. Hey, you're in control of your income, your most powerful wealth building tool. And then that gets you to the point that really you get to live like no one else so that you can live and give like no one else. The outrageous generosity and the enjoyment of money and the changing of your family tree all starts to come together all around the final step of this piece of real estate, this baby step six, pay off the house, right? So that moves us into the last lesson, our favorite lesson, outrageous generosity. Now you can do everything we teach, you follow everything we've taught, and you'll have some money, but you will have missed it if you missed this last lesson. Don't miss this last lesson. It's our favorite one, guys. We all love it. I personally love it. I love to teach it. I love to talk about it. It's the most fun you'll have with money coming up next. Now, time for your one-minute takeaway. Write down the one or two things you've learned that you're going to do with real estate so that it blesses you and doesn't marry All right. So, who learned something new they didn't know before? Who learned something new? Very good, very good, very good. One of the things I want to ask just as a recap, how do you know when you've overspent for your house? How do you know? How do you know when you've overpaid for your house? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He said when you buy the most expensive house in your neighborhood and you want to always find the cheapest house because when the house appreciates, it's based on the houses selling in the neighborhood. So that is very key because sometimes we go in, we want to be the biggest fish in the small in the little pond, right? Based on your answer to number one was, you know, you pay too much. Another way you know you pay too much is based on that 25% of your income. And that's the crucial because, you know, the bank will tell you 30%. And a lot of times we get in houses and, you know, we want to make changes and we want to make improvements on the house we just bought. And we end up paying more. Another way you can pay less for the house is through what? What is the major way you can pay the least amount for your house? Based on the same price. Who said that? Less years, right. How many people have a 15-year mortgage? In a 15-year mortgage on a $200,000 house, you're going to spend about $61,000 less. And what we have to understand is is that, I mean, compared to a 30-year mortgage. And the difference in the interest and uh, principal payment is about two to $300. So you think about it. You're only paying over 15 years, $300, 300 is $3,000 a year, basically. So you're paying about $45,000 a year more with the payment. But to save $61,000 on your house is tremendous because that money can then go towards your investment. What we have to start doing is finding ways to pay less for the things we buy beyond the sticker price. So that's with cars, that's with clothes, that's with everything. Who said they're looking forward to buying a house? Is everybody in their dream house? Who has a dream house that they want to get? Does anybody have a dream house? One person? What I mean by want, you have a plan to do it. And if you don't have a plan to get it, then, you know, that's not relevant. But if you have a dream house, one of the things you have to think of is, first of all, how do you see yourself? You have to visualize it. The next thing is what part of the home stands out and why? Now, one of the things that we learned about our dream home is that the most important thing about our personal home is you want it to appreciate, right? So what was the three things he said that was most important to appreciation of a home? Three things. There you go. Location, location, location. Super important. 
And right now, we see the whole thing with the gentrification, right? Like right up the street here, right? So, you know, it's amazing how, you know, we've been in this church, what, 25 years? And we can remember from the beginning, coming to this church, those houses across in around 2000, selling for like $100,000 a piece. And then they're probably six to $800,000 a piece. And, you know, going down the street, we pass those houses, you know? So, location, you know why it's so valuable? How close are they to downtown Atlanta, right? So I'm not going to recommend you move here 20 years ago because, <laughs> you know, there's a whole lot different. But my point is, is that he talked about how when the market shifts, a lot of people saw their value of their home go down because the demand for buying was going down. And a lot of people tried to sell their homes, even though that, their situation hadn't changed. It's just like in the stock market. People will have a 401k, they got 20 years to retire, and they see the stock market crash, and they want to sell and get out. And that even happened in 2020. A lot of people, when COVID came out and the market crashed in March, they got out of the market, lost, it was a 30% drop, and didn't get back in. So what we have to understand about homes is that for the most part, it's always going to be a need for a home and somebody to live if you're in the right location. If you got a, a house in the middle of nowhere, you're in a crapshoot. But if you buy location, whatever the market does, it's going to come back. If you're a homeowner, think about life without a mortgage. What could you do with the extra money that's currently going towards your payment? If you're renting, how do you feel about owning a home someday? And how could you save up for one? Now, that's one of the key things that really accelerates your retirement, where you can pay your home off. And that's one of the things that we have always tried to get people to do. How many of you all that own a home have an amortization schedule? Okay, great. Even if you have a 30-year mortgage, that's one of the things you can do. Get your amortization schedule, which shows your interest payments and your principal payments. And go down and pay five, six months of principal, which sometimes when you just buy your house, maybe, you know, $150. You just decrease your mortgage from 30 years to 30 years and five months. You just take off five months from your mortgage. So find ways to pay less, okay? And in addition, saving up. You know, banks are in the business of loaning money because that's how they make money. So you can never go to a person who needs your purchase for them to make money to give you advice because all the advice they're going to give you is going to go towards spending your money. So we go to banks for banks to tell us what we can afford. And if they give us the loan, you think you can afford it. I don't care if it's a car, if it's a credit card, if it's a house. They want you to get in debt because the worst case scenario, they can get their product back. They can foreclose on the home. And see, right now, a lot of people have gone out when interest rates dropped and they started real estate businesses. And they probably had good credit and they bought rental properties. Sounds a great idea. But they have mortgages now. And what's happening now? What's going on with rentals? Huh? They're not paying. And you can't evict them. So if you have a mortgage, guess what you have to do? You got to make that payment. So what do you think is going to happen when they, you know, the government set aside $43 billion for rental assistance? The federal government gave states in these United States $43 billion to help out renters. Guess how much has been distributed? Huh? How many? Nine? Nine? Six billion, six billion, 12 percent. And you know what state has done the best? Kentucky. Isn't that something? So your state 
officials, people we vote in, are holding up these funds that set aside. So why are they doing that? Well, you can say the state can't use the money. They have to send it back like they did with the first stimulus package for businesses. They didn't use all that money. The PPP money, the first go around, they didn't use all of it. They sent it back. No, this is what's happening. This is what I think. I think they need, because there's so much money in the marketplace and people are buying so fast. I mean, right now, you cannot buy a house because there are no houses for sale and people are paying way over the value. So that means you got a balloon effect. Prices going up. So you need inventory. So if you squeeze people who stretch thin, you're going to have houses coming to the market. It's going to bring prices back down. It's very cynical in what I'm saying, but that's why you're in trouble when you're in debt. The best thing you can do from all these classes is get you a budget and get out of debt. I tried to help a friend of mine recently and very successful person and looking to buy a house. I was like, ah, my advice, don't buy right now. This is a seller's market, not a buyer's market. Just wait. You've been renting this long. Keep renting. Nope. They couldn't do it. You get that buyer's fever. Just like they're talking about. It is real. It is very real. Unless you hate debt. Unless you hate overpaying for stuff. You know, it's real fun. There's a video on one of the social medias where there's watch guys talking about watches. And, you know, all the rappers buy these watches, right? And they take the watch, like an expensive Rolex or PJ, whatever it's called, and they would take it and put diamonds all over it, right? And you would think the value of the watch goes up, right? Because it got diamonds all over it. He was saying, actually, the value of the watch goes down. So, (laughs) really, because you think about it. How many people know about classic cars? If you have a classic car, right, the most valuable classic car is in its original state. If you put any type of paint job on it, it loses value. Same thing with a timepiece like a watch. So what are most people who are uneducated about money doing? They are going, first of all, overpaying for this. That's a depreciable asset. Then they put a diamonds on it. They're paying more for it. And then it's going down in value if you hadn't done anything to it. And then they take pictures with the jeweler like he's their friend. Listen, we have to change our mentality to hate debt and to learn how to spend our money and direct our money wisely. And that's really the key. And if you find yourself in any of these situations that were not favorable, you got to make the adjustment. And that sounds easy, but it's something you got to do. I always tell a story. Early in my marriage, I figured out, I had to, I found out if my wife was really with me by when we started having money issues. And I was like, well, because the market was tanking, print was going down, and I wasn't selling the ads. And I didn't know what was going to happen with my income. I was like, well, worst case scenario, I own my mother's house. So I said, we can move in my mama's house and sell this. What you going to do? You go in your mama's house? <laughs> my mama's house ain't in the best neighborhood. And she's like, well, we do what I got to do. Now, I don't know what would happened had I came up with the keys. <laughs> You know, at least she passed the first test, right? It made me feel good, you know, because someone, what you, I ain't going to, you know, some people would have snapped right then. But my point is, that was my mentality. At that point, that was my mentality. I was fine with that because I would rather be in a small house, I can pay the note, than be in a house and my lights cutting off and I'm sitting there with my kids, we in the dark. Like some people, they get used to it. I know relatives, they get used to their lights being cut off or they're getting foreclosure notices. Listen, you have the opportunity now Get your budgets back in line. Everything he talked about is a buildup. Get your budgets, get your budgets in line. Control your spending. Be patient and be disciplined. Learn how to sacrifice. 
because you never know what's going to happen. When you learn how to sacrifice, it's just like the old saying. Whenever you don't need something, that's when it comes, right? You know, if you got a girlfriend, that's when all the girls come up and want to talk to you. You know, when you in high school and you had a girlfriend, then everybody wants to, you know, when you got no girlfriend, nobody want to talk to you. Same thing with money. When you don't need money, people are trying to give you money. You understand? So any questions? Any questions? Yes. Okay. So let me explain what an amortization schedule is. Great question. Okay. So that's why I tell you, whenever you buy a house, you always, at the closing, you tell your banker, I want an amortization schedule. If he doesn't give it, now with internet, you can Google, and they got websites you can make your own. But what an amortization schedule does, it will show you, based on what you pay for your house and your interest rate, and the term of your loan, which is how long your loan is for, like if it's 30 years or 15 years, what is your interest payment, your principal payment, and your total payment. And so what you do is you just look at your principal payment, and it's going to be like on a $200,000 house, your principal payment, like if your loan is $1,800 or $1,100, your principal payment is going to be probably like $35 for the first year. And the interest payment, if you have a 30-year loan, is going to be like $1,070. You understand that? So you go, if you make a $35 payment, that's one month. If you make $70, you just paid off two months, right? You pay $100, you pay off three months right then. And as the loan matures, that principal side will increase and the interest side decreases. And then you get to a point where your note is 50-50. Half of it is principal, half of it is interest. Now you're paying off even faster. So the bottom line is, is that you don't have to have a set amount. The thing that I did when I bought my first condo was I was just trying to pay off five months at a time. So I know in two payments, I just paid off almost a year, right? But it's based on your budget. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, well, it's the same thing because your mortgage, that's $1,000. So I don't know if it cut in half, but with interest rate now, the interest is not like it was when it was 5 6 7 8%. So it just depends on how big the interest You still got to pay that principal amount. So you still got to pay the 200000 So it just depends. But the big thing is, it's that total amount that you're paying for your house. You buy a house of 200000 but with interest, you pay 300000 for it. That's money out of your pocket. That's money out of your retirement. But if you had a 15-year mortgage, you might pay $250,000 for it. That's the key. That's the key. So you now have more money in your pocket. Stop making everybody else rich and pay yourself. But that's it, the amortization schedule. So when you get your house, make sure you ask for an amortization schedule. And if you don't get it, just go online. You can pull it down. But does anybody have, everybody have fixed rates or do they have arm? Anybody have those adjustable mortgage rates? Good, good. That's what got people in 2008. Now, what are interest rates right now? Low, right? Very low. So where are they going? Sometime they got to go up. I don't know when, but maybe sooner we think. All right, somebody asked a question. Go ahead. Yeah, right, right, right. So right. that's when you're dealing with mortgage brokers. So your bank, your bank is the best place to go to get refinanced in most cases because they're going to be the cheapest. Now, here's the point. Depending on how much time you have left and where you are, basis, what you're paying in, that's why you need an amortization schedule. You need to see how much you're paying in interest and how much you're paying in principal. And if your interest amount is the same as your principal, I would try to just pay an extra payment, and that's going to cut it down real fast. You understand? But you're paying it off pretty fast. But, you know, the biggest key is to get all the other debt out the way first. Your house is not the debt you want to get rid of first. It's the credit cards, the car notes. That's the first level. That's why it says baby steps. Get debt free first. So do that. And then once you do that, you can put whatever you want. Because now that mortgage payment, you keep paying it, but you start paying it towards your investment in your 401k or whatever else you have going on. And start letting the market increase it.
Any other questions? Yeah, he talked about that. I'm not familiar with it, but I do know about it. And basically, you know, the advantage to the GI Bill is it allows you to put less money down. But remember what we're trying to do. We are trying to pay it off the fastest, right? So my thing is, is that if you've done baby steps and you say, I got a GI Bill, right? And I'm going to pay two payments every month because I have no other debt. Then just go ahead and get a 15-year mortgage and just pay the extra $300. You know what I'm saying? You don't have to do it. But people are afraid that their income may change and the mortgage rate, the monthly mortgage is higher. But if you paid your debt off and you're secure, it's better to go ahead and do that because I would do the 15-year. That formula they gave is the right formula. But, you know, 10% down if you're out of debt should be something that's doable. But I don't think you want to pay any debt off to the term. That's why they push in a 30-year note because they make more money. So you want to spend less of your money and you want to buy things, keep things, the price of the things you buy, lowest possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Well, again, those bills are favorable. You know, it keeps more of your money in your pocket. But the thing is, remember, we want to pay off the debt. We want to get the house paid off as fast as possible. So, again, those steps are important. Save your money up, do the down payment. All that makes the time go faster in paying the debt back and decreases your total amount you pay for the house. Now, one last thing I want to say is anybody have elderly parents that's thinking about reverse mortgage? Yeah. yeah. Do everybody know what a reverse mortgage is? Okay, reverse mortgage is a company will come and tell you, sign this piece of paper, and now you don't pay mortgages anymore. And what we're going to do is we're going to pay your mortgage, but when you die, the house is ours. Yeah, yeah, that's one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And see, when you're on a fixed income, Social Security, they think it's a good deal. But what problem is is that they get those houses and the interest rate is super high. Right now, the interest rate is 2%. That reverse mortgage may be 8%. And the only way you can get your money back is somebody in your family got to pay however many years you were in that house back cash. You understand that? So, yeah, now one thing they can't do is if the house is worth more, you can sell it and you get the difference. But you still overpaid because the interest rate they're going to charge you is going to be so much higher. You see what I'm saying? So the thing is, is that if you're, the, if you're the only person, you have no kids or anything, you know, or you have a mother and she's thinking about doing that, and you know the property is great location, I mean it's close to people, you might want to talk say, how much do I have to give you to help you stay in this house? Can I give you $200 a month? You know what I'm saying? Or what for your mortgage to help you stay? But if you got brothers and sisters, y'all pitch in so y'all get the house because you're exactly right. Yes, plus the interest, plus the interest. Well, they pay her a flat fee or they let her stay in the house? Oh. 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 So she got the 50000 cash? Oh, yeah. Well, so that deal is it's $50,000. They got interest on that fifty. Plus, every month she was there is a charge for that. So it's not going to be what they gave her. It's going to be a lot higher. But if the house is worth $400,000, if that adds up, whatever their agreements do, if that adds up to $100,000 and the house is paid for, you get a $400,000 house for $100,000. So you can buy it back if you are listed as a heir to the house. I'm pretty sure you can. But I know a person did the house in New York, and this was a million-dollar house. And the person lived in there for about 20 years. So they still got a house cheap because the interest rate, man, interest is powerful. If, they, if I charge you a high interest rate, then I'm getting the house because I'm paying myself the interest. I paid you the money up front, and now I'm paying myself 10% interest on the money I gave you. 
Because when I get your house, I get that back. You understand? So, like I said, those things there, run from it. So if you don't know what it is, just know what they say it, run. All right. But that's it. No question. All right. Well, everybody, good. You are listening to brothersoftheword.com. This was session eight of the Render My Money 2021 series by Gerald Render. This message is number 4532. That's 4532. To listen to thousands of free messages or to send this message number 4532 to a friend, go to brothersoftheword.com. If this message has been a blessing to you and you would like to help support this ministry, go to IWantToGive.com. That's IWantToGive.com. Listen to BrothersOfTheWord.com often because, brother, you need the word. Brothers of the Word.